29 this morning. And we're going to just begin reading from verse 1. <coughs> Genesis 29, verse 1. When Jacob went on his journey, he came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. And out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered. And they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. Let's in our time to the Lord in prayer. <coughs> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here again, uh, gathered around your word and, and our homes. Um, but we pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts now this morning uh, through your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would empower me through the spirit, would give me wisdom and guidance as I speak this morning, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just take your word now and apply it to each of our hearts as you see fit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you remember last Sunday, we uh, looked at chapter 28 there, and we, we saw Jacob's meeting with the Lord there at Bethel. Okay, remember his, his dream, Jacob's ladder. He saw the angels ascending and descending upon that ladder, going up and down from heaven. And then, of course, he saw the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and the Lord gave him these wonderful promises, these wonderful assurances. And so following that meeting with the Lord there at Bethel, Jacob now continues on his journey to the east and he leaves the land of Canaan, uh, his home, the, the place he'd grown up in. He leaves the land of Canaan. He now travels back to the east to the land of his ancestors. And Jacob is now going to spend the next 20 years of his life away from the land of Canaan, away from the promised land, away from his home. And many have considered these 20 years to be solely a time of punishment um, because, you know, because of his treatment of his brother Esau. You know, these 20 years are just a, a time of punishment where he reaps the consequences of his sin. However, they were actually, for the most part, happy and prosperous years. He received some poor treatment from his uncle, yes, and we'll see that this morning. But at the same time, you know, Laban gave him a job and Laban permitted him to marry his daughters. And also during these years, God blessed him with flocks and with herds. You know, he went out of Canaan with nothing and yet he returns to Canaan, a very wealthy man. And these 20 years were also important spiritually. You know, God used these years to teach Jacob and to build his character so that he might return to the land of Canaan and accomplish God's will for his life. You see, God was with him through all of these years, guiding him through his providential care. And we see that here this morning in the passage before us. We see God's providential care of his servants. You know, one of the main reasons that Jacob had left Canaan was to find a wife. Chapter 28 and verse 1 says, And Jacob called, sorry, and Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife for the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Pandanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, 
and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. So this was his main purpose. His parents had instructed him to go and find a wife amongst his uncle's daughters, his cousins, so he might find a godly wife. And this morning we see that God in his providence now brings him uh, to the very place where his uncle dwelt so that he might indeed find a godly wife. So let's consider here this morning the providence of God in the life of Jacob. We see first of all here the meeting, the meeting. It says in verse 1 there, Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east, and he looked, and behold, a well in the field. Now, Bethel, Jacob had been greatly encouraged by the promises of the Lord, which we looked at last Sunday. And in particular, God had promised that he would be with Jacob wherever he went, and that God would bring him back into the land of Canaan. Just read with me, chapter 28, verse 15. It says, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So in particular, God has said, I'll be with you wherever you go, and I will not leave you until I bring you back in the land, and I accomplish all these things that I promised you. And so with these wonderful words of assurance on his mind, and in his heart, Jacob now rises up, and he continues on his journey to the east. That's what we see here in verse 1. Okay, It says, Then Jacob went on his journey, and came into the land of the people of the east. Yeah, so he rises up and he continues on this journey. Now the words, then Jacob went on his journey. Those words literally mean, then Jacob lifted up his feet. Now these words speak of joy and excitement. They speak of the joy and excitement that is now in his heart as he goes forward on this journey. Joy and excitement that's come from what he's heard from God. The commentator Gill writes this, he lifted up his feet, which not only shows that he walked a foot, but that he went on his journey with great cheerfulness. For having such gracious promises made to him that God would be with him and keep him and supply him with all necessities and return him again to the land of Canaan, which made his heart glad. So these words speak of not just traveling on foot, but they speak of the fact that he's traveling with joy in his heart now. There's a spring in his step, if you like as he has the words of God on his mind, in his heart. And he continues eastward across the Euphrates River and into the, the land of the people of the east. Now, this was a long journey, okay? Uh, uh, I believe he still had 700 kilometers to go. He still had a long way to go from where he was at Bethel until he arrived uh, at his end destination, Haran. You know, it's passed over in one verse, this 700 k, isn't it? Nothing significant seems to happen here. This is Passover in one verse. And the next thing we read of is him arriving now in the east. And we see the Lord's providence here. As the Lord guides him to the very well where his uh, relatives water their flocks. Let's just read verse 2. It says, And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth into its place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, 
We know him. So we see him now arrive at this well. And it's in the providence of God that he arrives here at this particular well, this particular time and place. And you know, this arrival at the well reminds us of an event that took place almost 100 years before this. Back in chapter 24, we're not going to go there, but in chapter 24, of course, Abraham had sent his servant out to find a wife for Isaac. And that servant had been faithful in traveling back to the east, this very same journey, and arriving at a well, and it was there, according to the providence of God, that he met Rebekah. And now in very similar circumstances, Jacob arrives at a well, according to the providence of God, and in God's timing, and he meets with Rachel. Now, as Jacob arrives at this particular well, he's, he's not exactly sure where he is, and so he asks the shepherds who are there, he asks them where they're from. That's what he says there in verse 4. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And so he asked them, he says, where, where are we? You know, where are you from? Where do you live? And the shepherds reply that they're from Haran. They confirm to him that he's in the right place. Now we need to remember there's no road signs in these days. And so he's been traveling to the east. And he's trusting the Lord to lead him. And now he finds himself exactly where he needs to be. He's exactly where God wants him to be. He's at Haran. But more than just confirming to him that he's in the right location, the men go on and they actually confirm they know his uncle Laban and that he's in good health. Verse 5, it says, and, said unto, sorry, and he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. Now already we can see the providence of God in this meeting, can't we? You know, he, he's traveled to the east, he arrives at this well, meets with these men, and they're from Haran. Not only are they from Haran, they actually know personally his uncle Laban. And they tell him that his uncle is in good health. But then even more incredible than that, they go on and tell him, oh, and look, here comes Rachel, Laban's daughter. It says there in verse 6, And he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. Now, just... Put yourself in Jacob's shoes for a minute and imagine how thrilled he must have been to hear all this. You know, God has brought him to this particular place. He's met with these men who know his uncle. And more than that, right at that very moment, Rachel is coming to the well. You know, I can imagine him right there and then offering a prayer of thanks unto the Lord. Bowing his head and giving thanks to God because God is already keeping his promises, isn't he? To lead him and to guide him and to be with him. You know, God, God had guided him to this perfect place in this perfect time to meet with his cousin, potentially his future wife. You know, this is nothing short of the providence of God. In verse 7, it seems that Jacob, he's now keen to speak with Rachel alone. And so he tells the shepherds to water their flocks and to leave. Uh, verse 7, doesn't he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together Water ye the sheep and go and feed them. Excuse me. You get the impression that he, he wants them gone. By the time Rachel gets there, he wants some time to, to speak with her alone. You know, perhaps he also couldn't understand what they're waiting for. You know, why you're standing around this well. It's the middle of the day. Why don't you go back and feed your sheep in the fields? Why are you staying here by the well? He doesn't understand what they're waiting for. But the shepherd's reply makes it clear that there was a custom 
It was a custom in that particular day to wait until everyone was present. All the shepherds were there with all the flocks before they rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well. Verse 8 tells us that. And they said, we cannot until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. So they make them aware of this custom, you know, that you, you wait for everybody to be there and then all together you open up the well and together you water the flocks uh, and then put the stone back at the end. And as Jacob is having this conversation with the shepherds, Rachel now arrives. She arrives at the well with her father's sheep and Jacob's response is interesting. Look in verse 9. It says, While he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. His response here is interesting. You know, she arrives at the, the well and he sees her for the first time and Jacob immediately rushes over, springs into action. He rushes over, he opens up the well and of his own accord he starts feeding and watering the flocks, watering her sheep. Now he's just heard from the shepherds this custom of waiting for everybody to be there. It's like he just ignores it, forgets it and you know, he just hastes over and just starts doing this. You know, we can sense he's trying to make a good impression, isn't he? Good first impression upon Rachel here as he rushes and opens the well. You know, he's overcome with joy. He's overcome with emotion. And more than just watering her flock, he then rushes over and he gives Rachel a kiss and he weeps openly before her. And then he tells her who he is. Look in verse 11. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother, and that he was Rebecca's son, and she ran and told her father. You know, Rachel must have been surprised by all this, wasn't she? You know, she arrives at the well, and here's this strange man who runs over, opens up the well, waters her sheep for her, then he comes over and kisses her and starts weeping openly before he introduces himself. You know, she must have been taken aback by all this, And when he finally told her who he was, we see that she is overtaken with joy and she rushes to tell her father. You know, she no doubt had heard about her aunt, you know, Rebecca, who had left home a hundred years before this, and now standing before her is her cousin, Jacob. And so she's excited. She's excited to let her family know this wonderful news. And when she informs her father, Laban, we see that he likewise is full of joy, he's full of excitement. And he rushes to meet with Jacob and invite him to stay with them. Verse 13. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And so we see that this meeting is, is one of joy and excitement for all involved, isn't it? You know, you have joy and excitement from Jacob. There's joy from Rachel. There's joy from Laban. But throughout this whole event, we see that Jacob in particular is overcome with emotion as he realizes all that God has done. I mean, that really is what causes him to rush around like this and to to weep before Rachel is he's overcome with emotion at what God has done, at God's leading in his life. You know, Jacob could have at that moment borrowed the words of Abraham's servant from Genesis 24 verse 27, I being in the way... The Lord 
led me. He could have said those very words, couldn't he? I've been in the way the Lord led me. God had led him every step of the way. God had brought him to this place in this perfect timing to meet with Rachel. This is God's leading in his life. You know, the unsaved would look at this story and they would say, this is all just happy coincidence. It's all just happy coincidence, a series of chance. You know, as believers, we can see the gracious hand of God, can't we? We can see the, the leading of God in his life. Now, beloved, the same, in the same way, God is leading and directing our lives. He's leading and directing us. As we submit to his will and as we walk by faith, he promises to direct our paths. Proverbs 3, verse 6, we know it well. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. It's a, it's a promise. If we acknowledge him, we, we seek to do his will, God promises to direct our paths. One commentator wrote this, he said, In the life of the trusting Christian, there are no accidents, only appointments. That's a really uh, good way of putting it, isn't it? In the life of the trusting Christian, there are no accidents, only appointments. You see, we can praise God this morning for his providential care. We can praise God for his providential leading in our own lives, just like he led Jacob to this meeting here at the well. We've seen now, secondly, this morning, the agreements. We've seen the meeting, and now we see the agreements. Now look in verse 14 with me. It says, And Laban said unto him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him a space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what, what shall thy wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. <clears throat> the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Then Laban said, It is better that I should give her to thee than, sorry, than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Now from the end of verse 13, the first thing we learn about, uh, about Jacob when he enters into the home of Laban is that he tells uh, Laban all of these things, it says. Okay, verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob and his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house, and he told Laban all these things. This is the very first thing he does. He rehearses all these things in the ears of Laban. Now, we're not told exactly what all these things are, but we can assume that he's told Laban of his parents' instructions, that he's told Laban of his journey, bringing him to this place, God's leading in his life thus far. And so he fills Laban in on all these things. And when he's finished rehearsing these wonderful things, we find Laban acknowledges and accepts him as one of the family. Okay, verse 14. And Laban said unto him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. He accepts him as one of the family. He says, you're my bone and my flesh. And so he's basically invited now to stay in Laban's home as one of the family. But we see that Jacob, he doesn't take his uncle's hospitality for granted, does he? He doesn't just sit around and enjoy the hospitality, enjoy the free accommodation. Jacob was industrious and he, he wants to make himself useful. And so he sets about laboring for his uncle. He does his share of the work. And he serves his uncle in this way for a month. And at the end of the month, Laban offers to pay him, to employ him, pay him wages. 
just read verse uh, 14. The end of verse 14 says, And he abode with him the space of a month. Then Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And so Laban offers to employ him. He says, What shall your wages be? You can't work for me for nothing. What am I going to give you? And when Laban makes this offer, Jacob immediately proposes that he works seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. Let's just look in verse 16. It says, And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Now we learn here from verse... Sorry, we learn here from these verses that Laban actually had two daughters. This is the first time we, we meet Leah. He has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Leah is the older daughter, and she's said here to be tender-eyed, verse 17. Leah was tender-eyed. Now, there's discrepancy about what this actually means. Some take it to mean that she was weak-eyed or that she had poor eyesight. But it, simply, it could also simply mean that her eyes were not as dark and uh, considered as beautiful as Rachel's. There is a, yet another possibility. The word translated tender can also mean soft. And so perhaps it's not a negative at all, but it's actually a description of her best quality. You know, her soft, lovely eyes. And in contrast to this, Rachel is said to be beautiful and well-favored. Now, literally, this translates as beautiful in appearance and beautiful in countenance. Now, Clark writes this, the words plainly signify a fine shape and fine features, all that can be considered essential to personal beauty. And so the point is, Leah in no way was ugly, but Rachel was evidently very beautiful. A very beautiful woman. And it's Rachel that Jacob, he set his eyes upon from the moment he met her at the well. He's had his eyes upon Rachel. And it's Rachel he's come to love. It's Rachel he desires to marry. And so he humbly here asks for Rachel's hand in marriage as the reward of his labors. That's what we read there in verse 18. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. <clears throat> now essentially this labor was going to be his dowry. This is him paying the dowry for Rachel. Now Jacob, he'd come out of Canaan with nothing. We talked about that last week. He's come out with nothing. He's got no caravan with him. He's got no servants with him. He's got nothing. And so he has nothing else to offer as dowry other than himself, his labor. Now, years earlier, Abraham's servant, when he'd come back to the east, he brought with him a dowry for Laban's sister, Rebekah. Let's go back to Genesis 24 with me. Genesis 24 and verse 53 says, And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. So we see the servant, he, when he came back, he, he had with him gold and silver and raiments. He had these things to give as dowry for Rebekah. But here we see that Jacob, he has nothing with him. He can only offer himself, his labor as dowry. You know, this was a humbling thing for Jacob to have to do, wasn't it? You know, you think about it, he's got to offer himself and his labor as the dowry for his future wife. He's got nothing else to offer. One commentator wrote this, 
He could only purchase her by his labors, a bargain which was rendered possible by primitive custom. It was humiliating to be obliged thus to earn his wife before he could have her. It was degrading the most tender feelings of the heart thus to make them a subject of commercial treaty. In the days of Hosea, when the children of Israel had grown haughty or full of pride, the prophet reminds them of these degrading circumstances concerning their ancestor. In Hosea 12, verse 12, it says, Jacob fled into the country of Syria, and Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. This was a humiliating thing. This was something that Jacob had to humble himself to do. Humble himself. You know, it's probably something that Jacob never thought he would have to do. You know, considering where he'd grown up, I mean, his father had lots of possessions. He probably never thought he would have to do this. He would have to humble himself and be willing to labor and patiently wait seven years before he could marry the one that he loved, Rachel. The one that he was sure was God's choice for him. And in verse 19 to 20 now, we see that Laban, he agrees to this proposal. And Jacob labors these seven years patiently waiting to marry Rachel. Verse 19 says, And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Now it says that these seven years passed quickly for Jacob. They passed by quickly because of how much he loved her. Now, it speaks to us about a, a couple of things here, doesn't it? It tells us that he had genuine love for Rachel, doesn't it? You know, he had a genuine love for her. I mean, true love waits, as they say. And he was willing to wait. But the other thing it tells us about Jacob here, here is that we see patience in him that we haven't seen before, don't we? We see a patience in Jacob that we haven't seen before now. You know, before this, Jacob as a man has come across to us as a very impatient man. Very impatient. You know, when it came to obtaining the blessing which he knew God had said was his, he was very impatient, wasn't he? He rushed ahead of God, doing things in his own way, and he sinned in the process. He deceived his father, he hurt his brother. But here, we see him now willing to wait. We see him now willing to patiently serve for seven years. You see, God is using this time to teach him, isn't he? God's teaching him something about humility. God's teaching something about patience. And both of these are going to prove to be very important in the near future. Patience and humility for this man, Jacob. And that brings us now to our third point. We see now the deception. We've seen the meeting. We've seen the agreement. And now we see the deception. Look in verse 21 with me. It says, And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife. My days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said unto Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It is not to be done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fill her week, and we'll give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. 
the mayor and gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. Then he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Now, finally, the seven years are up. And the time has arrived for Jacob and Rachel to be married. And, you know, we can be sure that for Jacob, you know, he's been eagerly counting down the days, hasn't he? He's been anticipating and waiting for these seven years to be up, and probably Rachel as well. Now, in verse 21, we see that Jacob, he now goes to Laban, and he requests that he honor his agreement. He honor the, the promise to give him Rachel. Verse 21, it says, And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. So he goes, and he says, Keep your word. Fulfill the agreements. I've worked seven years. I've paid the dowry. Give me my wife. Now Laban responds to this request by gathering the guests for a wedding feast. Verse 22. And Laban, Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. You know, it seems that Laban is going to be true to his word, doesn't he? You, know, you read verse 22 and it seems like he's doing the right thing. He's gathered the men together for a wedding feast. Seems like he's going to keep his word. But as we know, Laban now proceeds to devise and to carry out a terrible scheme of deception. Now, when exactly this plan was devised, we're not told. You know, perhaps he's been thinking about it for quite some time, planning it right throughout these seven years, or perhaps it's something that only now occurred to him. You know, whatever the reason was, or whenever the time was, I should say, the reason was the same. Laban was facing the prospect of losing Jacob's free services, wasn't he? He's facing the prospect of losing Jacob's services once he married Rachel. Now, he, he had enjoyed the free labor over the last seven years. And so he devised the plan to make sure he gets yet another seven years out of Jacob. But also to make sure that both of his daughters get married. There's a twofold thing here. Get seven more years out of him and also make sure both daughters get married. And according to custom, Laban gathers the guests for a wedding feast. And once the formalities are observed, Laban then presents his daughter to Jacob as his wife. Only instead of presenting Rachel, he presents him with Leah. Verse 23. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid for a handmaid. Now Leah would have been wearing a veil, and no doubt the, the bridal chamber was dark, and so it wasn't until the morning light that Jacob understood what had taken place, was aware of the deception. That's what verse 25 says, And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said unto Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? And did not, uh, did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore hast thou beguiled me? You know, we can only imagine how Jacob must have felt that morning when he woke up. And he realized what had taken place. You know, we can imagine that there were feelings of anger. There were feelings of bitterness towards Laban and perhaps even towards Leah for her part in all this. But at the same time, Jacob must have been struck by the realization that he had carried out a very similar deception upon his own father. Now, the similarities between these two events are clear. You know, Jacob had deceived his father pretending to be his elder brother 
and he had done so at the instruction of his mother. Leah had now deceived him, pretending to be her younger sister Rachel, and she had done so at the instruction of her father. They're very similar deceptions, aren't they? You know, Jacob, of course, he had felt very justified in his deception at the time, didn't he? You know, believing the ends justified the means. But it was still sin, and he was now reaping what he had sown. You know, Jacob was learning the truth of Galatians 6. Let's just turn over there, Galatians 6. Sure, we know these verses well. Galatians 6, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, God's word is very clear that we reap what we have sown. Eventually, we will reap the consequences of our sin. And Jacob learnt that here. I mean, he'd, he'd sown this way, and now he reaped the consequences, very similar consequences. Now, at the end of verse 25, we see that Jacob, having awoken to discover this deception, he confronts his father-in-law. And he demands an explanation. It says in verse 25, And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said unto Laban, What is this thou hast done to me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? He demands an explanation. He says, Why have you done this to me? And Laban's response seems to be a rehearsed one. You know, he declares that the older sister must get married first. It's the custom. Verse 26, and Laban said, it must not be done so, uh, sorry, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. It seems to be rehearsed, doesn't it? You know, if this was indeed the case, if this was true, why hadn't he told Jacob earlier? You know, why hadn't he told him right back at the start when the agreement was made? This is a rehearsed response. It's just an excuse. It's all part of his plan. And now he proposes a new bargain. A new agreement with Jacob. Verse 27, fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. Now the week mentioned there at the start where it says fulfill her week. The week mentioned there is the wedding week. And it was custom in those days to have a week of festivities after the wedding. And so Laban, he says to Jacob, he says, if you will fulfill Leah's wedding week, I'll then give you Rachel as your wife as well, provided that Jacob then works seven more years for her. In verse 28 to 30, we see Jacob, once again, he humbles himself, and with meekness, he accepts this proposal. In verse 28, when Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week, and and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laman gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Jacob, he hears this proposal, and he humbly, with meekness, accepts the proposal. You know, it was unfair. It was completely unjust, wasn't it? But you notice his response? He humbly consents, doesn't he? He consents. He's been wronged, he's been cheated, he's been deceived, but he humbles, humbles himself, he accepts 
the proposal and he fulfills Leah's wedding week and then he takes Rachel also as his wife before laboring another seven years for free as dowry. And so he ends up working 14 years for the woman that he loved, Rachel. And once again, we get to the end of this, this verse, verse 30 here, and we see yet another Old Testament saint uh, caught up in polygamy, don't we? This constantly happens in the Old Testament. Another Old Testament saint caught up in polygamy. And of course, this is never God's design for marriage. And it always carries with it consequences. And this situation was no different. And the problems from uh, this situation were soon going to manifest themselves, weren't they? And we'll see that next week and, and following. But the problems are soon going to come to the, to the fore. But the thing we must remember here with all this is that as all these are happen- things are happening, God is still on the throne, isn't he? And God ultimately is going to use even this evil to accomplish his purpose and he's going to use it for his glory. You know, God can override the evil of men, can't he? And use it for his glory. Concerning this, Weasby writes, Laban must have congratulated himself on the success of his scheme, not realizing that the Lord was ruling and overruling in the entire event. As Jacob's son Joseph would say many years later, he thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. You know, this was evil, what was done. And Jacob had his part in it. But God did use it to his glory in the end. God used the, the evil of men. He overrode it for good. You see, we can see through this whole passage this morning, we can see God's overriding, overruling providential care and leading in the life of his servant right throughout these events. From the meeting, the agreement, and the deception, we can see God is still in control. And God is leading his servant. God's directing his servant. And at the same time, he's using these events to teach his servant. Now, he's teaching Jacob, as we saw, lessons in humility, teaching him lessons in meekness and, and patience. He's also teaching him that sin has consequences. Now, may we likewise learn that our God is on the throne, and as we seek to do his will, he is leading, he is guiding us by his providential care, and God uses both the good and he uses the evil that comes our way to mold us and to make us what he wants us to be as we surrender to him and keep our hearts right before him. He's molding us, he's making us what he wants us to be. Pastor talked about vessels this morning. He's molding us so that we might accomplish his purpose, you and I. Let's pray as we word pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once again this morning. And Lord, we thank you that in Jacob's life we can see your providential care. Lord, you're leading every step of the way. You're leading to this meeting through the agreement and, and even through the deception that took place. Lord, you were teaching your servants. And Lord, in the same way as we surrender to you, as we seek your will, Lord, you are leading, you are guiding, you are directing us. And Lord, even in our own lives, sins has consequences. But Lord, those consequences don't mean that you can't use us for your glory. As we surrender to you, you use those even to mold and make us into what you want us to be. Lord, may you bless now as we close. May we uh, ponder upon your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name.